So hello, Latinos in Clinical Research. Welcome back to our May 2021 webinar. We've got Carla Vera Navas on. She's a phase one guru. She's a self-made business person doing like really you found a niche today we spoke to somebody chris and i spoke to somebody on the phone who had a this you know idea they want to start a cro but they have like no background in research we told them we steered them away we said start a site first uh and then if you do go the cro route you need to find yourself a niche and you came up carla uh you know look at carla this is the video we did this is how she started you know, she found a niche, she found a, a tremendous need in the early stage phase one monitoring. A lot of these biotechs, you know, they understand that they're not going to get the attention from Ikevia or PPD that they might get from Carla's company. And so there's a huge niche for, for Carla. And really, uh, Carla's uh, has an amazing story. So we're here to let her share her background. And then we're here to answer any questions or career questions, business questions, anything you can think of questions, phase one questions, uh, very high level, very in the trenches questions, whatever you want, feel free. Uh, we're, we're watching the comments section and welcome Carla. How's it going? Hi, thank you for having me guys. It's a pleasure and an honor to be hearing Latinas in clinical research. I have my shirt. I got my shirt on the mail a couple of weeks ago. So I was getting ready for today. <laughs> Thank you so much, Carla. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, I actually can't wait till you come visit California because we're going to do a podcast in person when oh. you do come out next month, hopefully next month, and make a visit. But for those who don't know who you are, can you just introduce yourself? Your story is very inspirational. We'll have the link underneath this video for the full interview I did with you. But can you give like a five-minute version or a three-minute version? Sure, sure. So um, I'm an Ecuadorian by birth. I came at the age of um, 18 years old. Um, and then uh, one of my first jobs actually was uh, as a receptionist in a phase one facility here in South Florida. Um, so I was kind of the person who will handle the consents, uh, check in the patients, let the coordinators know that they're here. And then I started on data entry, uh, very basic. And then I kind of moved forward to QA, then to take on studies itself, coordinators, I'm dealing with monitors, and, and in a kind of, it, it kind of my career took a life on their own. And um, pretty soon, I, I believe in 2009, uh, maybe I'm off with the years, correct me if I'm wrong, um, I finally was able to, uh, one of the things we found here at that 2007-9 is that there were not many Spanish-speaking CRAs. So the opportunity came for sites that were developing in Latin America, they needed an Spanish-speaking uh, CRA. So this company uh, had worked with me in the past, like we have met uh, the person working together and they knew I was very fluent in, in Spanish and also knew a lot on how to handle monitors and the reason why monitors visit a course. So they gave me a chance, they gave me a, a two weeks, um, which I'm, I, I believe it was my training as a CRA, but it was more like here are the sites and here's what we expected to be done. And I was uh, handling A sites throughout Latin America, which is 
kind of different because now you have different regulations and different IRBs to deal with. So it was like kind of a very quick process that I had to learn and, and move fast to it. Also in that company, I was able to, um, the other part of the business was business development with finding new investigators and, and finding a um, job for them. So my, my job precisely was to try to locate investigators that we were reliable and were willing to learn um, how to do a site for countries. So that's how I got it started. I, I, I lasted maybe there for like seven years and I did from um, you know, visits uh, to the sites to help them out to FDA visits um, because our, our, some of our inspectors they don't speak Spanish, so it's hard for them even to review records at some point. So I had to be there to facilitate communication if necessary. Um, so then I, I, I got tired of traveling so much. I mean, there was so many weeks there. I, I, you know, I will come on a, on a Friday and leave again on a Sunday. And I do have kids, so my, my little kids took ahead um, those years. But that uh, helped me to be able to get um, a job more based in the U.S., I did have to pay my, my fair fee here where I had to travel all over in the US and gain experience in US sites. Uh, and then it kind, of, it kind of worked from there. I mean, um, me and my family, which my sister is also on the line, we started our own research site, which she ran for several years very successfully. Um, and I was overseeing that with her. We also took on some Latin American sites on their own. So we noticed that, um, here in, in, in South Florida, there is a lot of sites that offer phase one, but there are not many monitors that have that experience. So I decided to open better services on 2000 and maybe 10 or something like that. And um, my, my clientele, it's all the facilities that do phase one. Um, some of them phase two, phase three, but our phase experience is with uh, phase one um, CROs or phase one sponsors that are not necessarily going to the big um, CROs to do this type of studies. Yeah, that's a very inspirational story. I mean, what was it that gave you the idea to do to go from being a monitor to starting your own company? Uh, well, for us, it was a family decision. At the time, um, my family was transitioning from a home health agency. And we also had the tools, like they had the connections with doctors and they had a connection with um, patients. So I told them, look, this is a really, you know, really good connection because now we just need to make it a, a site because we had all the connections. Uh, so it was, a, it was not easy. It was just, um, I guess a transition was a little bit more easier than someone that doesn't have any of those connections already in place. So that's what really helped. So we opened the site, I believe back in 2009 and we closed a business uh, in 2021, actually, 2020. Wow. Um, and the reason being is because my sister and I run the business while my sister was running the day-to-day -day and she was like, I, 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 I'm ready to keep growing in the part of the industry and not necessarily just be a side. So that's what she's doing. She's now a PM with... Uh, I'm sorry, my phone is fine. I'll, did I'll, your did your um, did your experience as a site owner because you you owned a site for over a decade? Did your experience as a site owner help you kind of become a like a mini CRO? I mean, even though yeah. you're just doing monitoring services, but you're still like a mini CRO basically. 
Yes, yeah, so I think uh, one of the things, because this was a family business, one of the things we really understand, and it's at heart of our family, is that we understand when a business works, and, and only the, the owner or whoever is paying the bills understand how important each single job is. So for us, like for me, um, you know, if I'm going to be doing, um, I only do service, but if it requires to do a startup in one of my contracts and my client doesn't want to pay another $15,000 for another company to do and I can include it in my budget, well, then it's a win-to-win situation. They don't have to hire anyone else. They just hire me for that. And um, the budget is pretty much an adaption to what we had. And they already, there's already trust built um, in that relationship. So for us, it's, um, it's really like we take a heart that, um, you know, this is our clients, these are futures for people and, and we need to make this as excellent as possible. Um, that doesn't mean we're not perfect. I'm not perfect by no means. I make mistakes daily and I keep learning, but uh, our intention or my intention um, is to have to deliver the best that we can. So uh, I'm curious, um, and if you already mentioned this, I apologize, but who was first to enter the research industry, you or your sister Carla, and whoever was first, how did they learn of research? So it was me uh, through the receptionist job at uh, the phase one facility, but because I earned so much um, like learning in so little years, one of my positions there was data entry. So I remember we, um, the phase one place that we're working at, we're needing people to do data entry. So my sister, a 15 or 16 year old, would come with me on the weekends to help me do data entry at the company. So you basically answered a help wanted ad to work at a phase one facility? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I got her in. Then other friends of mine were phlebotomists and they were like, oh, we need a job. And I was like, work here. And now they are like, CRAs or site owners and things like that because it, it just grows on you when, once you understand that you grow. So, sure. My sister, it's part of the industry. My mom is a patient recruitment specialist. Oh, wow. My brother can deal with everything that has to do with CTMS and all the records and medical records. He knows all the ins and outs. So, it runs in the family. Yeah. Wow. That's a true family <laughs> business. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I have wow. Yeah, that's wonderful. Before he passed away, he, and I'm talking about 2010 and 11, he was already going in clinical trials at GOPS and trying to find new studies for our site. So mm-hmm. our whole family like took off on research and, and that's what we do for a living actually now. Well, that's, that's really cool. And you were the first. <laughs> I was at first, yeah. And yeah. you know what, just to say what you mentioned here, this is why Latinos in clinical research is doing what we're doing. Um, she's a perfect example of grassroots. When you have one individual in the family come in, understand the industry, not only can they teach, right, and, and explain what clinical research is and kind of bridge that gap, but it's also because, you know, who knows, you know, you can also bring them into the industry, help them get better paying jobs, help them kind of get exposure. I mean, this is this is why we wanted Latinos in clinical research. One of the many reasons why. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing that, Carla. It's really awesome. Not a problem. So right now I'm working on my kids. So right now my kids are helping out in, the, in calendars, scheduling my visits, getting ready my uh, folders when I go to my sites. Uh, like all, they have me all my for the week. 
and things like that. So there are they're going to be the future of, of the company if they decide to take on it. I don't want to make it a, a, an enforcer, but they do like the, the traveling and they're all excited about traveling and going in and out. So let's see what happens. <laughs> That's so inspirational. Oh my gosh, I love how you have your family involved. That's really amazing. I think um, ultimately for me, my end goal is to, you know, to be in research and all that, but also facilitate my family, right? And so that's just, it's really great to hear that somebody's done that on that scale, because I've heard a few people, but to where your whole family and your kids, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, so my ex-husband mm-hmm. also is a CRA because I introduced him to the business. And my husband currently is a CRA um, in the business now, which David already met. So Dan already met, I'm sorry. So yeah, um, I think one of my skills is I like to teach people. I hate when people, um, you know, don't want to learn um, because I'm a teacher by heart. Like if you visit someone and you tell me, oh, they're new to research, I'll be explaining from zero to a hundred. What is this? It's theft. <laughs> and then sometimes I even have to ask, do you need this? Because they don't need it. And they, they, they really have already all the experience and I'm like teaching them again, but um, I, I'm a teacher by heart, by explaining by experience. Um, I think one of my downfalls, um, now that we're talking about education, I, because I got a job at so early age, I never completed my degree for nursing. Um, has it affect me? Yes. Please, if you are doing your school, I'm, I'm not an advocate to not do it, do it. Um, I sometimes don't get an interview because I don't have a bachelor's and that really bothers me because once they talk to me, they know I have a lot of experience. Um, I just need to get my foot in. And sometimes it's really hard when you don't have a bachelor's. I, I cannot tell you how many times they tell me, uh, um, you know, uh, this client won't even interview you because you don't have a, a bachelor's. But once I see my CV, they're like, okay, we'll make an exception. I usually get the job on the same day because they can see that I have a lot of experience. But um, it's not that I'm um, a, a unique case. I'm sure there is other, a couple more like me, but it doesn't usually happen. So it's, for me, it was a combination of luck and a lot of experience at a very young age. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely unique. I mean, to say the least, but it shows you the versatility of owning a company. I mean, not just the fact that you, you have something to pass down to your kids and you control, by the way, the fact that your kids can gain experience, right? And your husband can work with you. This You can't do this if you were to work at a big CRO. I mean, you control the narrative. And at the end of the day, if you have that many studies and it's your on your resume and it's your own CRO and, you, and you're so niche, like there's, there's not too many people that are able to understand phase one and, and Carla just taught our phase one uh, class on the CRC and the CRA Academy. Um, so it, that just goes to show you like the power of what a little bit of experience can do. Once you get your foot in the door, it opens up all the options and you can start seeing like everything that's out there. And, and Carla's story is very interesting in, in the sense that she was able to see where the industry was going, where the needs were. She had the site, did that for a decade. It's not easy to do. And then started the phase one monitoring services, which is probably even more of a demand. And you're, you're, how's business now? You're getting tons of, of, of business, right? Oh God. Yes, we are. We're busy. I mean, um, we had to outsource some of our CRAs. Um, so one of the challenges was to get um, 
people had that had phase one experience. So I had to do some interviewing and training to, to, to get CRAs to be able to help us. But yes, we were, uh, it's kind of really tight now with COVID. Everything is becoming um, very fast. I mean, they, they, they open a bridge that we, we didn't have before. You know, before you would take maybe two years and a half to get an approval. Now with everything that's going on, we can see that we can do it faster. So all the companies are trying to do everything faster and you just have to move on and adapt at this point. I can't wait till you come to California. We can talk business, how to expand coast to coast. We're out here in California. You're out there in Miami. Hey, Daniel, welcome. Nice to see you. Um, how's it going? I see your hand raised. So yeah, feel free to ask Carla or any of us any questions. Thank you, Dan. Carla, I, I had a question for you. I want to circle back to what you said about your bachelor's degree, because I think it resonates with a lot of us. I'll speak for myself. Um, I had to drop out of school and I had to go to school at nights and on weekends to get the bachelor's degree because I knew it was a requirement. Tragically, in my opinion, it holds back so much uh, talent in the Latino community to pursue mm -hmm. these roles. And I wanted to get your input because I've always thought about that requirement being a bottleneck that cre that creates inequitable access to entry-level roles mm -hmm. when in fact if we think at least if I think about my trajectory I didn't have the luxury to pursue full-time school and not have to work alongside that and then my academics suffered and then life was happening so I had to turn to become a caregiver um, that can turn into a very leaky pipeline for the next generation of clinical research to include Latinos I know it's the same for, you know, our black community as well. Um, and it's very frustrating because I, I, I've been there. I've been there where it's like, well, you don't have the bachelor's degree. It's like, what will this degree do for me in terms of the real world experience I've had on the unit, right? Coming up in my career. Uh, and then of course you get hired, right? Because you can dance circles around the CRAs who had the perfect 4.0 bachelor's degree and had that, you know, perky internship, but don't have the experience you do. Uh, it's something that frustrates me so deeply. And uh, I think it's a real problem, right? It's like, how do we, what can we do to to make sure that that access pipeline to entry-level roles where the bachelor's degree is in a barrier to that? Yeah, so um, um, one of the things I, uh, and I'm talking about my own experience and I'm talking about little things that I try to do. Yeah. Um, so I know ACRP at a few years ago, maybe a year ago, we were trying to do a requirements to get coordinators or what was the perfect requirement for coordinators and CRAs. Mm -hmm. And this is where I had really difficulty because I had played all those roles. However, I never had a bachelor's. Yeah. And um, to me, it was hard to make others understand that yes you know it's nice to have that in their resume but you cannot deny people access because um a bachelor's doesn't really tell you the level of intelligence or the level of skills that you have yeah. it just tells you that you completed something mm -hmm. um and to be honest with you i had a couple of interviews where they asked me why i don't have a bachelor's and they made me feel bad actually because i you know life happened and i decided to have kids and I cannot feel blamed because I felt to be a mother before, you know, completing my bachelor's. And I'm sure that happens to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So what I do, uh, you don't know how many clothes have uh, clothes, but one of the things I always say to people is that 
commit to yourself to whatever you're doing. So let me, let me, let's apply this a little bit more. So for the coordinator role, I remember that I will now ever think I will be a CRA because every CRA that came to the clinic was a, I got a doctor's from another place. So I have a master's degree. So I was like, no, this is out of the question. So let me do my coordinator role as best as I can. Mm-hmm. And I deliver um, crazy timelines. Like <laughs> if we needed their entry in 24 hours, I was there. Nighttime people, I was there. Um, so CRAs started picking up on my name. Like now uh, I can actually speak to someone from Merck that I work on 2009 because they remember my name because they remember all the efforts that I had. And that's what really helped me switch that um, bachelor's degree in my instance. And they will make exceptions and speak to me uh, because people already know me a lot. Yeah. So what I'll suggest is that there's a lot of little companies like mine that will look people for CRAs and they will open up the arms for the, uh, a person who doesn't have a bachelor's and they will train you and they because they want the commitment. Um, yeah. It's just a matter of finding them and they're not they're not easy to find like uh, right now if you live in florida you know i will probably need to get an interview with someone but that's mm-hmm. the main issue all my clients are here in florida in south florida but i'm sure i know there is some phase one units in kansas i know there's so many phase one units in north carolina and their monitoring services are occurring that we just don't know because they're so small mm-hmm. and biotechs or little pharmas cannot afford to hire a Kiwi, a PPD. They're looking for people that can do the job at a less and more effective uh, time and budget. Mm-hmm. So that's where we came in. So I'm telling you, if uh, um, you know, you start looking for monitoring services or project manager services and you can start knocking on those doors. Yeah. Once your name gets out there, you'll see the jobs will start coming in uh, to you because that, 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 that's what happened. The recruiters know now my name and they're like, listen, I hear of you. I hear you on link. I hear you work with someone else. I hear even in Europe, I have never been in Europe, but I work with so many European companies. They're like, oh yeah, I know. We know you, we work from here. We're working from there. Mm-hmm. And then make yeah, the- Do this, you can hang up. You can't make noises, okay? If you can, if you can, um, can do, Whatever you're gonna do, just deliver. Like I have one time that my client was, um, I was leaving a company because the study was over and they needed just to do close-up visits. And they were like, if I let you go right now, I'm gonna have to hire another person and in two weeks it's not gonna be done. So I decided to stay with them for 30 days so I can do all these close-up visits. Mm-hmm. The same client now called me just maybe a month ago. They have another study and they, I'm personally to calling me because not a lot of CRAs will give two weeks doing two jobs <laughs> just to make sure that this client is living happy. You yeah. see what I'm saying? So it's also the amount of commitment that you have. And, and it takes several sleepless nights. I cannot tell you how many times I had to put kids to bed and write a report, but just that's the way it works. And then it will be, it will happen for you. It's yeah. there. Opportunities are there. I think that's the part that people don't focus enough on is the amount of work it takes. And by the way, the next decade is going to be very favorable to you, Carla, and anyone like you who manages to do what you've done. Because like I always said this year, I started saying this last year, small is the new big, the long tail of clinical research is where all the opportunities are going to be. That's where all the exceptions are made too, right? And then uh, Evelyn, thank you for being patient. I see you with your hand raised. Uh, 
feel free to ask Carla any questions. Well, at first I want to apologize. I thought that I had muted, but I had taken off the volume. Um, no worries, no worries. Um, and then another thing is, I know that Dan started out with saying that Carla had a niche. Um, there was a lot of niches in my opinion. Which one was the specific niche that you felt like worked for you? Because I feel like the universe literally was prepared for you to do this. Like regardless <laughs> if you have your bachelor's or not, honestly, you're beyond prepared and better for it because I'm the complete opposite. I'm having the opposite problem. I have a bachelor's. I have medical experience, um, but I'm not getting anything. And I am, I'm working on it. I'm working with Ashley. So I'm, you know, hopefully not too long from now, I'll get there. But like, for the most you know, part, just call me whenever you feel low or down, you know, yeah. I'll my mother. I'll... One day um, I want to be there as well. And then one day I want to be able to open my own you know, place as well. But of course I need to get that experience and understand what I'm going to put myself through. So when Dan says, you know, she found a niche, like what's your niche? I want to, I want to know so I can try to see and understand and try to put my own kind of puzzles within it. So, uh, because we, I live in South Florida and again, I, I, I don't think I'm the exception. I'm sure there's some people also like me. Um, but because I live in South Florida, the Spanish portion came really useful um, here because even now, if you if you speak or maybe uh, maybe I'm speaking wrong, but if I go through the list of people that I know for CRAs, still there is maybe of twenty, two or three we speak Spanish, right. and that's what helped for us because even in Puerto Rico, where the language is supposed to be only well for research only English they still like icon will send me to Puerto Rico because they would rather send me that someone that doesn't speak Spanish. I, um, and the same thing for several companies. Like I cannot name names, but I have one company that I was traveling only to Puerto Rico for, you know, a week at a time because they had so many sites and there was a problem in understanding each other. And the reports were not a quality because if the CRA cannot understand what the coordinator is saying 100%, it's going to be an issue. So I live in Orlando, Florida, and I kind of have a very similar culture. Yeah. Um, so if that is like the need and the niche, then that's probably something that I could definitely look forward to because so, I'm fluent as well. And also Ecuadorian, by the way. I'm Ecuadorian too. Nice, <laughs> nice so, to meet you. Um, so if we'll be, if I was in Orlando and I don't know if you're at a side level, one of the things I will promote myself with is that um, I speak Spanish, get me all my documents in Spanish. And I remember even in South Florida, I was working with a term that only saw, um, you know, English speaker patients. They didn't have anyone in Spanish. And by the time I left, we were able to fulfill all of the enrollments because I was speaking Spanish and I was seeing all these patients. So it's not, I mean, to now, and, and this is just on a personal level, my kids speak Spanish at my house. I don't allow them to speak English because you have to teach them. That's, that's having like a two person in one just speaking Spanish. So start mm -hmm. promoting yourself with that. Like I would tell the CRAs, get me a Spanish consent, get me Spanish material. And my site manager will be, in, well, we don't have many. Well, they might make some, you know, start making phone calls. So if I don't read or write in Spanish, I need to start getting used to it a little bit better just to be able to actually 
and what helps you is Spanish consent. Go through Spanish consent, all you and you get that coming back like that because you get the <laughs> medical terminology back to you. Because I also learned medical terminology in English, so for me it was hard. And I would review the Spanish consents and Spanish materials, and I was like, oh yeah, you're gonna have whatever in Spanish. And I was like, okay, and then reading those materials, I understand that. So that's what works. Thank you so it. much. I you're appreciate welcome. it. <laughs> and it something really I did want to mention after, you know, just that question with Evelyn, but also the question that Daniel had. Um, you know, Carla, perfect example, right? If you all have that situation where you resonate with her story, a good way to prepare yourself, right? To kind of get yourself in that, that space to where, you know, if you don't have a bachelor's or you feel that you're lacking in some area, a good thing that I like to tell my clientele is that um, on LinkedIn, for instance, uh, that of course, if Carla or if other uh, individuals, professionals that actually are utilizing their page fully, you can go there, you can look at their LinkedIn, look at the search that they have, look at the different uh, types of affiliations they have, go and check what their skill set is. And if there's anything you're missing, you can work over time to mold yourself into that professional, right? If that's what you're looking to do. So, you know, for instance, if you're looking to be part of a CRO or you want a project management, you don't have to wait to get that experience. You can go and look for the individual, go see what they already have and look to find that free, those free resources, those free connections here on Latinos in Clinical Research, on other organizations. You can go and find these individuals on, again, LinkedIn and over time mold yourself to kind of accelerate you know, your, your place, right. And it's not how you can fit that. So maybe a year, two years from now, you don't have a bachelor's, but you have all this background and knowledge, you know, you can get to the interview and say, um, you know what, you need me, you're behind on X amount of CRAs, X amount of RSMs or X amount of project managers. I have the skills that you need. You not giving me that opportunity because of my bachelor's is at a loss for you. I can go get a job somewhere else. Right. Give that assertiveness. Show what you have when you come with all this knowledge, just like Carla does. And, you know, you make this you make the opportunities for yourself. But I just wanted to say that. <laughs> yeah, Carla is the perfect example that when there is a will, there is always a way. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. And to add to that, I know, um, Evelyn, you were mentioning, you know, about learning, you know, going back and reading and talking more Spanish. There's so many things online now you can listen to, um, YouTube videos, even just pull up ensayos clinicals on YouTube and there's a bunch of video. Just listen to them, keep repeating that information. And that'll help you with a lot of those, you know, clinical research terms too. I think the thing that makes me a little worried was the, because she said reading and writing. I literally, mm. I have to read it in English and sounds like I'm from America when I'm reading in order for me to understand <laughs> what yeah. I'm saying, because I speak it fluently. That's not a problem. And I can help anybody with it. But the problem is I can't read it and I can't write it. Well, and you're not so to write. you're just going to need to read it. So okay, you, perfect. I so can you can just say it again. And the other thing that's great with what you do is that if you get a Spanish records, it's it's a it's a regulation that needs to be translated by someone who has no native language but understands the language enough, so the doctor who may not be a Spanish speaker can sign off on it. Because we have here in Florida, we have medical records from Cuba, from Venezuela, and that doesn't mean the patient cannot participate. It's just that we need to translate that to English language. I so. understand. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. 
So I guess one of the things that I want to mention here is that find what you like and make it your spotlight. Um, for example, um, my sister is a great example for that. Um, she is very into admin and quality control and, and that's her thing. That's what she likes. And um, when we started our business together, one of the things in our, in our little promo was clinical research in excellence because literally she would check those charts to make sure everything was okay like a hundred times. <laughs> and then she will make her staff work through the whole thing. And that what makes clients come back. Um, also, I, I, I know some people that like only to deal with patients. Like um, I'm not really good at phone calls. Like I, I would like, I'm not speaking on the phone and I'm five minutes. I'm like, okay, whatever. If there's anything else to talk about, I'll call you later. I, I don't like to be on the phone so long. I'm getting text. But there's other people that like to be on the phone for a while. And these are the people that you need for patients because they want to have that conversation, that human touch. And um, one of my friends is a perfect example for that. They can talk anything to anyone, even to a stranger. So they will speak with the patients. And, you know, the patient knows the mother-in-law who has this connection and, and you know, and making, make them help them to make an appointment at the ophthalmologist because they don't know how to do it. And that will bring more patients in. And that's how they got this uh, Spanish population from coming in. So make it whatever, as Dan said, the niche, look or find what you like and, and stick to it. I have, I have also other examples for that. Medical records, it is here in South Florida, I don't know how it's in other states, it's kind of impossible to get medical records. So we need to find a person who actually has the skills to call the hospitals, get on the phone, try to get to the doctors, things like that to get medical records. And that's our thing also. Data entry was another thing. I like to do data entry. I'm, I'm, I'm a person who likes uh, processes. Once I understand the process and, and some process don't make sense, it will jump on me and I'll tell you what the error is. So stick to that. So whatever it is that you like in research, just just stay with it and, and make it your spotlight. Like make sure that people, whoever comes in that office, who is a, a CRA especially, make them jump and, and let them know how vital you are to the organization you're working on. That, that's that's literally what worked for me and all the time. Every company that I come and left, they they miss me and they want me back for some reason. You just have to find the reason why. Yeah, I really love that. I mean, especially, this is especially the case for transferable skills for people who may not have the research experience. But if you've done your own homework, if you've really studied the industry, or even better, I mean, here's a wild concept, study the company you're applying for. Like, if, if you study them even for a few hours, you're going to learn some of their their needs. And then look at your own skill set and say, okay, well, where do I fit in, in the context of clinical research because just like Carla said maybe you're really good on the phone maybe you're very persuasive on the phone so you can get medical records uh, or you can bug people until they send you the medical records which is more likely uh, the case but how would the employer know that you know you have to put that in there you have to tweak your CV Ashley Margot can probably talk about this better than I can but I'm glad all you guys get to meet Carla because I spent an hour and it could have been three hours interviewing her on my podcast, but I wanted to 
get you guys the Carla exposure one-on-one. So keep the questions coming in. Anybody else have questions, let us know. We are, we do have some giveaways, but uh, I'll mute myself. You you guys, uh, I think Monica wants to say something. Yeah, I have two questions for Carla. (laughs) The first one is, what was the most challenging part uh, for you transferring to phase one? Um, And then I'll ask the the other one. (laughs) Okay, so for phase one, actually, it was not hard because I was uh, kind of, I knew or I was raised up in the industry in phase one. To me, it was really hard to transition Mm -hmm. to later phases because they're a little bit more relaxed so like i will i would make a big issue when i don't know when a signature wouldn't match the consent that i was looking at and and in phase in the forward phases sometimes we don't even need an id and in my clinic we will do and we will do ids verifications with that and to me i was like how can you do that you cannot allow this patient in and they were like what are you talking about yeah i mean you're Or, or temperatures that go to our excursion because we don't have allowable excursion on phase one. So I was like, oh my God, we have an template and we gave this frog and I was already freaking out. And they were like, no, it's unallowable, relax, relax. So to me, transitioning to letter phases was a little bit more stressful because I was I was a, the monitor that went crazy. Like, like the people knew, oh, Carly's coming, she's nice, but she's wacko because I'll be <laughs> checking. <laughs> You live and learn, and um, I kind of also learned how to do the later phases. So that was how I did it. So, oh, okay, oh, that's great. I mean, you learn first the the harder, the hardest part uh, of the industry. (laughs) So it's like you were kind of downsizing on the um, on the requirements. And then my next question is, uh, how important do you think an organization like, like, like Latinos in clinical research is to the industry? Oh my God, extremely important. I think, I think this is actually, I think uh, Dan, when he spoke to my husband, you guys stole my idea. <laughs> I wanted to start this back in 2000, I want to say in 2011, because I saw a need and the, the need was not met. Like I will speak to people, but none of them were Ecuadorians, nor Colombians. And, and now I see a little bit more, but not as much as I would like, um, but it's coming, it's coming together. I think people that are, are, are bringing, like you guys are making the effort and, and you know, dedicating their time. I mean, I wish I could dedicate more time, but between jobs and, and mom and things, I, it's hard, but I, my hat's off to the people who can. And um, I'm really proud of being doing this right now. So I, I thank you for the opportunity and I hope I can do this more often. But yes, this is, this is incredible. I think this is an effort that will go a long way. Um, guys, don't be ashamed of, I've been in some, in some states that yeah, when I spoke Spanish, the person who also speaks Spanish wouldn't speak to me in Spanish because they feel ashamed of that. And I was really sad and disappointed about that. Um, they don't know what value of having another language is and, and the humbleness that brings me to, to, to see someone. Like I don't tell you, like um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Utah. In Utah, out of all the states, you're not going to be able to go find a lot of Spanish people, but I did. 
And as soon as they knew I was speaking Spanish, they were like, oh my God, you speak Spanish. I'm so glad to see you because you never know who the other person is. And it's, it's so humbling to know that there is Latinos everywhere and we just need to make sure we can open the doors to them. 100%. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, and uh, some, uh, any language, in, uh, obviously, we're, we're talking right here in Latino, but any language really is important, especially in the industry now that we need so much diversity. So, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I see the effort of doing their bursary, um, but I have so many ideas to that. I, I, I wanted to speak to Dan about that because um, I, I, I know we're putting a lot of pressure on that, but um, we need a, a commitment from top to bottom. So, <laughs> and we can do another podcast on that one. <laughs> Let's do it. You definitely, when it's all said and done, you can have a career yeah. as a motivational speaker as well, because you're getting people <laughs> pumped up. You're you really are. Up. You are. <laughs> uh, anything else? What are we, what else, Ashley? You, you always keep us on track. What's going on? Right. <laughs> um, well, since nobody's asked any questions yet, I, I was going to leave this for the end, but I might as well ask. Um, so what would you say um, the importance on focusing for Latinos in clinical research? I mean, not the organization, but just the importance of involving more Latinos, both in the workforce and in the industry. But obviously right now for LICR, what we're trying to focus on, we want grassroots, right? So we want to bring in the industry first, and then hopefully from there we can, through resources and all of that, um, you know, touch down to the grassroots of family, um, high school students, college students, et cetera. What would you say is the most important thing about, about doing that? And I guess where it's probably headed as far as uh, research is involved. Yeah, so I think one of the important part it's the learning process of it, right? Um, like right now, my kids continue asking me, what is it that you do for a living? I don't, want, I don't get it. What is it that you do? <laughs> because we don't teach this at our early age and it's so important. Like I tell them, you know, if I give you the Tylenol, don't think that I'm giving you the Tylenol hoping that it's gonna work there's been a process. So I take them to them to a basic level. And I wish people will do that um, for especially like um, the grandmas at home who are cooking, they don't know what research is. They probably need this. Um, and the new generation, I think it's gonna bring this home to our grandmas, our grandparents, our kids, they are coming because we need it. It's part of our life. We, people are gonna continue get sick People are gonna to continue to get medications. This is our requirement. Now, the one of the big pushes that I'm working on with another company is Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is a new, the next COVID, I think, of the older generation. And um, I mean, I just turned 40, don't say anything because I'm trying to keep it in hiding. <laughs> but um, we were working in a project that, um, you know, People as young as 45 were suffering from Alzheimer's. That's five years from me. And, and I want to have a choice when I'm 45, I get the disease. And, and this is a choice that um, think about your grandmother, parents, your tias, your tias in Colombia, in Ecuador, whatever in the United States, they don't even know there is a potential that a drug. It's been developed to issue that, to address this. So um, I think the little that we do, it changes minds and people's perspective also in the community for latinos um you don't know how many times i heard oh, i don't want to be the guinea pig i'm sorry if i don't supposed to use that language but um <laughs> and i'm like i don't study myself i don't feel like i'm a guinea pig 
I I feel like I accomplished and I was a hero to someone. Maybe maybe not. It will not help my generation, but I bet it will help the next generation. And especially now with COVID, as soon as I got say, I was like, okay, uh, where's the study? Where where do I give my blood? Because I'm like, just you know, do what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> And because I know it so well, I knew that, um, that the company was taking all the precautions and that was their first uh, priority, my safety. And people don't realize that. I mean, it's so basic. All of us work, what's the first rule? First, uh, subject safety. The IRB works towards that, the sponsor towards that, we work towards that, the site towards that. I think there, the, our patients are very look at and I don't wanna afraid any doctors, then sometimes in the doctor's office and we know what's happening to our patients even more. So, uh, I think um, what we're doing in Latinos in clinical research is, is switching that paradigms that are common um, and we're learning more. Uh, when you're saying that patient, patient safety is first, to be honest with you, when I was first trying to understand what was going on with clinical research, that was my first question too, because I honestly, in my brain, I think I've just had it like, oh, you know, people test on animals and on mice, and then we don't think that they're doing necessarily the best thing for them. And so I, I really did think that. And then the person that was explaining what clinical research was, um, they pretty much almost were like offended that I had asked that. And I could see why now, because I know so much more, but in the beginning it was, it was yeah. difficult because that was just like a perception that I already had without understanding. Exactly. And you don't, you don't understand also with my family, when I told them, okay, this is the type of business that I want to do because they had the resources of, of the medical community and patients. And they were like, well, how are we going to be able to help these people? And I explained, and they were like, I have to get them off of the paradigm of, you know, I don't want to be just be a patient in a trial. And I'm like, it's not only that, there is so much more towards that. I mean, I know uh, we've spoken to a couple of people with IRBs, and that's their priority. I mean, if uh, if we call, if I call an IRB saying that I have a complaint or a site, they're going to be going to the site like in a couple of days. <laughs> and FDA is not even um, announcing anymore that they're coming. They will knock the door and go into the site. So that's how I don't think patients realize how much their safety is concerned when it comes to the data that we're developing and trying to get out on the market. Um, and, and transparency, I mean, I, the best way to um, do what you do is just be transparent and communicate. Communicate everything that's happening. I, I mean, I will even say, I, I will even tell to doc doctors that are like, oh, what's well, a headache? It's not, it's not a, you know, it's not a big thing. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's that's a big thing. We don't know if it's a drug, so you better put it in it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that that's keeping, uh, keeping that, in mind always has always helped me because I know in interviews uh, when they ask me well about the drug about this and about that and I'm like well patient safety first if 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 I don't see if I see there is a problem you will know and I will talk you about it like I, I will call and I had been in trouble sometimes because I'll, I'll call the sponsor and I'm like are you sure this is with safety with protocol compliance with IRB compliance or like, yes, yes, we did with check. And I'm like, well, let me know because I don't know and I'm gonna block you about it. So um, that's a, the first thing on mine uh, when I get out the door and, and go to the site. 
Okay, last question comes from Judy Galindo, our very own LICR co-founder who fights the diversity threat every single day in Imperial <laughs> Valley. Uh, yeah, it's a quick question. Um, how diverse are phase one uh, studies with patient rec- like patients that participate? So, because one of the jewels of being in South Florida is that we do have the Latin community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can tell you maybe six years ago, 80% or 90% of my patients were males. So we got males, males yes, less women. Um, so uh, maybe five to four years ago, the, the sponsors started changing the protocols to make a requirement to have at least 40% of women population mm-hmm. in the study. So now I'm seeing a little bit more diversity. And that's why I'm saying this, I mean, we can ask the sites to be more diversified I don't know how a in South Florida can find a nation patient and how likely will that be, but it has to come from the top. I mean, it, this, this initiative cannot be only, only addressed to the sites because um, sites will tell you what you want to hear. Yes, I will get it. Yes, I can do it. But the end of the times, you know this, it doesn't happen. And then my site, which is maybe a good site, just because they don't want to lose our opportunity, may lose not hire, not having that, company come back so these changes need to come from the from the top right to the bottom they they need to be able to assess where the sites are located what's reasonable and understandable to do uh that's why phase one here in south florida works very well because we have the diversity that we need i had a couple of studies that do require and the protocol will tell you i want 20 percent african-american i want 5%, I don't know, Asian or whatever, we usually don't meet the 5%. They have to seek for other sites in other locations. So we're not there yet. Uh, I think we there's a lot of more efforts that need to come from the top again. And the only reason why I'm saying that is because uh, one time, I only seen it one time, um, I did a phase four, and I know we spoke about this before, um, where the company, the sponsor actually made a commitment to the community where they were doing trials at a phase four in a longer, in a, in a rather bigger site population throughout the US, only to get that data from diversity. So that's, that's, that's a sponsor commitment that they had. And um, I mean, I don't know if that could work, uh, but that's what I'm aiming to. And that's what I will be speaking about it soon, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, okay, so Ashley, I guess we're going to do something special. I don't, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, well, first of all, thank you so much, Carla. It's been awesome. Listen, Andy, apologize for showing up late. It's been raining like crazy here in Austin. <laughs> um, but thank you for sharing your story. It's been amazing, super inspirational. And I, I know that other people here have definitely taken from the story and those that will tune in later to the webinar most definitely will. And we hope to have you on again and have more involvement, obviously, of course, as you were able. But all right, you guys. So um, we are going to do a giveaway. So last month we did the CRA Academy. Uh, this month we are doing a t-shirt, Latinos in Clinical Research t-shirt, along with one of Dan's uh, 
books, the clinical research. Tell me the title of that. I'm sorry. Uh, the sure. Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research by Dan Sfera and Chris Sauber. Um, and the audio book of the same name, which, by the way, is better because it's like two books because we go off script. But we can't give that away. Uh, we can only give the paperback away. Okay. Awesome. So I have uh, put here on the, the, the side chat, and I'm so sorry, the format came out not like how I have it on my template. I swear it's so much more organized than my template. <laughs> um, so uh, the way we're going to do is uh, the same as we did for the CRA Academy, how to be considered. You're going to subscribe to Latinos in Clinical Research website, share one of uh, Latinos in Clinical Research webinars and, or, or video interview, whatever you prefer and uh, share why you love Latinos in clinical research and why you like to be involved. Tag two other people on that post, please tag two other people. Um, last time some people did forget that, so we had to let them know. And lastly, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn. And again, remember you guys, um, this is free resources we give out to individuals. If you're finding you know, value in this information, there's somebody else out there that hasn't found us that needs Latinos in clinical research, they need free value, right? And so please uh, do someone else a solid, share it with them, share it on your feed because you know you, you don't realize how many people you actually reach out to, right, on a daily. So please go ahead and do that. Um, also, just as a reminder, um, we have our next webinar June 8th. It's gonna be a really great one, but also we are gonna have a series throughout June. It's called uh, Career Development. So we're going to be having a live webinar once a week, every week, for four weeks or throughout the month of June. So if June is not four weeks, excuse me. <laughs> um, and so we're going to be discussing, you know, uh, different things. Let me give you the list of what we're going to be covering more or less. I want to make sure I give you specifics, right? One moment. And by the and way, then, I, put, I put Carla's LinkedIn. Everybody connect with Carla on LinkedIn, she, you have to get to know her. If you're in this industry, I don't care what level you are, whether you're not in yet or you've, you're a veteran, you need to connect with Carla. She'll get you pumped up, just one five-minute phone conversation. That's why you don't want to be on the phone that long because you'd be giving people <laughs> heart attacks any longer. You pump people up, Carla. So there's her LinkedIn. Everybody network with her. Everybody network with one another. Feel free to drop your LinkedIn uh, in the chat as well. So people can, um, connect with you as well. Thank yes. you so much for having me guys. And then do I have time to ask a question to the panel? Oh, yes. Go ahead. Okay. So this is, I, I usually always ask this because I'm curious, I'm a curious mind. So, okay. So tell me who are you, uh, um, who will, who is your mentee, like history person or mentor? I'm sorry like history person, I try to avoid any politics on it, but um, just tell me who and why. Uh, what do you mean? Like, uh, like currently, like who's our- Who's like, your hero? Who's your hero? <laughs> oh, okay. Past hero. or present? Wow. Uh, we can do past. <laughs> past, okay. Oof. I go, I mean, Being I go back. <laughs> Lee. I go Benjamin Franklin. I go Benjamin Franklin because like when, when he was around, I mean, if he was around today, he'd be like serial entrepreneur doing a whole bunch of different industries. So his, his range of interest was so vast and wide for the time. He was like way ahead of his time. So 
for me, it's Benjamin Franklin. There's probably a lot of other people there too. I don't really have heroes, but I guess he would be somebody I would look up to. My one is Nelson Mandela. He was oh, able to change uh, his country and then the world. And, and I think uh, that's, that's, that's what we are uh, kind of pursuing. <laughs> it's lonely. Hopefully, profound answer, Monica. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you're next, Chris. You're next. Dan, uh, Dan Spera. <laughs> That's right. Aww. <laughs> Aww. That's yeah. sweet. That's so sweet. Thank honestly, you, Chris. honestly, I really don't have a hero. I, I mean, <laughs> there's a number of people I somewhat admire, but um, I don't really put anybody on a pedestal. Mine used to be Elon Musk until the Bitcoin comments, and then it's not Elon Musk. <laughs> Are you hustling me, man? Are you hustling me right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? Dogecoin to the moon. <laughs> um well for me i think uh, on a personal level my uh my grandfather from my mom's side he was uh an immigrant from mexico he came to chicago and he um he pretty much uh worked in the fields for years he saved up he ended up being uh, a building owner and a cantina owner all in one and being the ultimate entrepreneur in a big city so it was pretty uh pretty inspiring story when I heard I never got to meet him but I love that story um but I think more on a I guess a more bigger scale I would say Elon Musk <laughs> <laughs> I know Daniel I like that but um, I like it because he uh you know he just he does his own thing and um that's it like he does his own thing and he makes his own way and I think that ultimately um you know I think everybody should, because if you make your own way, we we all end up probably be creating so many different things, right? As opposed to just taking the same route as everybody else. And uh, it's very hard to not do that sometimes, right? Especially when you go through the school system and all this stuff and you're kind of put in these boxes. And so, um, you know, I think that those that can actually do that and make things happen for themselves like that is super inspiring. So yeah. for Latinos in clinical research, I think, that's how I think LICR, LICR was born, right? Because yep. it's been yep. done. So let's do it. <laughs> yeah. And I think Judy, I think she stepped out for Judy left. Yeah, but we have good answer in the chat room. Hewett Watson said, all my ancestors who came before me. That's actually a very Ooh, good answer. Yes, yes uh, very much. So. I'll change mine from Benjamin Franklin to that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> and yours, Carla? Oh my God, I had so many. I um, I'm a Jesus follower, but leaving the religious part aside, I think he changed the world. One person, um, Bible is still the bestseller, and you have to wonder why. Uh, mm -hmm. Number one book still through I don't know how many years. So that would be my number one. Gandhi, I love peace. I cannot work with um, if I feel that I have an animosity or something or some kind of problem, I, it was really war hard for me to work if I don't getting along with the team. So that's the second person that I look for or, or look up to. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that's awesome to also hear Monica, Chris and Dan. I didn't know who y'all's inspiration was. So that's really good to know. <laughs> um, but all right, you guys, let me, uh, just to end it, uh, like I said, we were doing in June, we were going to be uh, doing career development series. So we're going to be going over 
uh, resume information, uh, business development, finances 101, how to, you know, um, increase your financial opportunities within the industry. And, and regardless whether you're in the industry already or not, this is very good to know. So please don't miss out. Um, these kinds of informations are super, super hard to come by, especially when you have like one-on-one, -on -one, right? With, with us here and asking these, these questions. So please don't miss out. Uh, we will be posting it on our LinkedIn. If you are not uh, getting those updates on LinkedIn or not on LinkedIn as often, please subscribe to our email list. You will get all of that information straight to your email. Just make it easier for yourself. And um, that works for me, right? Because I'm not always on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, and then July, just so we also know, we're going to have a tech series. We're having different tech, uh, tech, uh, tech vendors, tech and clinical research that are going to be also interviewed once a week uh, for that whole month of July. And so there's a lot of things in store with Latinos in clinical research. And just because I'm on a roll in September, we are looking to have a career fair. So uh, yeah, we're working on these things. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going in the works. So we're very busy uh, and we just, we want your support. Please share this again. The more people we have, the more support we get and the more we can also bring in sponsors and vendors, right? So please, you know, uh, do what you can to share this information. And um, yeah, well, thank y'all so much, Monica. Dan, do y'all have anything else? Uh, no, that's it. Good job. Thank you so much, Carla. Again, we really appreciate you coming on, and uh, can't wait to meet you uh, next month and um, see if we can talk some business, do some networking, and then thank you uh, to everyone who joined. Make sure that you spread the word. Uh, this is grassroots. We're not charging anybody any money. If we ever do, it's going to be sponsor level, not not uh, consumer level or customer. We want to serve you guys. We're never going to try to sell you anything other than your time. Uh, so please try to share this with everybody. We're trying to grow our email list. So make sure they go to latinosinclinicalresearch.com and subscribe so they don't miss out on goodies and giveaways. And thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. Thank you very much. Y'all have a great week. You too. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great one. Bye.